Hello and welcome to our podcast. We're calling it The Hunch because we believe you get the best ideas from people when they're relaxed, when they're with friends. And rather than giving you the corporate line, they give you their best guess, their gut feeling, their hunch. I'm Mark Schmid, and in each episode, I'll be talking to someone who can give us the lowdown on something that will transform their sector, our society, or even our everyday lives. Hello and welcome to The Hunch. In this episode, we're looking at the future of work, AI, and the potential digitization of human experience and expertise. To guide me through this topic is Carl Vocker of Merlin. Carl has built his AI business with the mantra of doing what I should, not what I could. And this ethos allows Merlin to imagine a better world where the limitation of access to expertise, experience, and wisdom is removed. Welcome, Carl, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Tell us a little bit about how you've arrived in uh, the world of, of AI. What's your, what's your background? Uh, I get asked that a lot. I think the you know my my obsession has always been around AI. I'm sort of fifty six years old. Uh, I've, I've got a number of kids, and if you were to ask my kids what do I do, they um, they might well be confused and not be able to answer that correctly neither. But I think my fascination with AI started before the turn of the century. Um, I had a dream to be able to capture expertise, capture the essence of someone um, when they die. You know, so the the dream was to be able to go and reference a relationship once that relationship had passed. And, you know, ever since those days, I've been thinking up schemes and designs and approaches to to use AI to, to access, you know, the personality of someone. Um, and and that sort of eventually practically led to the development of of uh, our current technology set, which is is really a sort of the essence of someone, but in terms of what that someone's expertise is. So yeah, I think you know I always joke. I think by the time I die, people will say the most useful thing I ever did was to you know this thing, building this type of AI. Legacy. Hey, uh, fascinating, Carl. That you know, the thought of um, uh, replicating uh, uh, the essence of an individual for you didn't start with a business application. It was it was much more about the individual in the round. Uh, and now, of course, with digital twinning and its relationship with AI, you're bringing that forward into the the world of work. That's right. If you have a quick brief history of of digital twins. I mean, the concept of digital twins have been around for, for a very long time. Um, one of the early sort of uh, definers of the phrase was IBM many years ago. Originally, digital twins were used to do simulation modeling. So you would sort of create a factory, if you will, and you would build simulators, sort of Monte Carlo type simulators to try and work out what are the potentials. Um, but in essence, digital twins have, have evolved since then. Um, certainly with, with AI, the version of digital twins has become a lot more sophisticated. And Gartner sees, in essence, four main evolutions or phases of digital twins, the most advanced being digital twins of, of people. And, and that's pretty much 
sort of a, a intersection around my fascination. I've, I've always been fascinated about digitizing people, specific people um, with specific skills. And, and now the most advanced version of digital twins, the, the philosophy or the methodology of the most advanced version is now possible. And when you think about digitizing an individual, how just, just give us an example, Carl, of how, of how you might see that deployed today in the particular business areas that you get most excited about when you think about the potential of this? I think one of the things I've learned about business has been, and certainly technology has been around timing. And when you look at all of the investment in in things you know, like the RPAs, robotic process automation, the automation technologies, the application for a digital twin capability once organizations have invested in automation is now real. You're really talking about concepts of human in the loop, human decisioning, human decision automation. So anywhere where you've got uncertainty and, and therefore risk, you know, where data hasn't really figured out what that rule is, so environments where, where you know, there's still a reliance on, on human expertise, that's actually where your digital twins will, will absolutely find, find home. More advanced areas like sort of human empathy, ethics, um, any area where you can't necessarily codify with rules, those are areas where, you know, you find human capabilities or, or human decision capabilities missing. Areas more specifically, so... And as you mentioned at, at the start, I'm, I'm from a business called Merlin. We've played in a number of areas and we're finding, you know, areas where there are levels of uncertainty and risk are areas like financial services and, and healthcare, you know, to name two. Um, you've got others like the cyber spaces, the law enforcement spaces, but areas, if you take areas like your financial services and healthcare, there's still a level of dependence on on sort of that human factor in financial services. You've got a typical example could be where you've got things like transaction monitoring. So where banks will monitor transactions for, for illicit transactions. And in those environments, there's still a bottleneck around access to human expertise. So definitely, you know, just to circle back where you have a start of, of automation. So we're organizations will deploy large levels of, of sort of um, automation technology. Um, they eventually work out that there's that need for, for that human in the loop type involvement. Yeah, let's just explore that human in the loop phrase a little more, if we can, Carl. You know, what, what exactly does that mean in this application? And explain its value a little bit, if you would. Human in the loop refers to having a person's input or judgment within the process or person's consideration in the process. So so human in the loop is can be anything from a second opinion to a process, or it could be a individual monitoring um, a process. So when I'm talking about process, I'm, I'm talking at an automation level. So if one was to consider that an organization has run you know, or has invested in in levels of automation, there's very often still a need for a, a human to be considered. One can also look at it from another perspective where a lot of the AI giants out there, uh, the Elon Musks of the world, 
are talking about challenges with AI and and potentially handing over the reins. Um, at a macro level, you know, one can understand that you don't just want to give, you know, a supercomputer full access to to sort of the the levers that um, that will affect us. But at a practical level within an organization, in a similar way, you don't want to hand over, you know, your processes uh, within the organization or your workflow within the organization simply to to the AI tech. You still want to bring areas or introduce areas where human in the loop is is considered. So you mentioned earlier healthcare as, as potential early uh, adopters and and you're using a, a phrase also you had second opinion you could imagine that in then healthcare the digital twin may have the the expertise gleaned from many kind of healthcare experts but you'd want that second opinion from a, a human in the loop as as almost uh, a safeguard and i guess almost a confidence giver as well that's a really good way to look at it and i think what you're touching on is is the importance of positioning of digital twin technology as well. So I I like to see a successful digital twin deployment as a sort of as a monitoring and a prevention mechanism against the bad decision. So an example would be, and maybe these are sort of good ways to understand the, the concept. So one example would be we build a, uh, a fully digitized um, digital twin of a clinician and this clinician can start dispensing drugs and, and offering advice and, and the like. So that technology is here and we can actually do that. And, and that would be sort of a careless um, adoption of the technology. A better, a better adoption or use of the technology would be a caution against a bad decision. So a bad decision could be there's a call center is called because there's been an accident and the healthcare provider has got to approve um, you know, approve a protocol that sees this this individual going into hospital. Call sender agent look, looks at the rules and says, no, you don't qualify, and the, and the individual doesn't go into sort of any kind of emergency care. Digital twin could be positioned to caution against that bad decision. So it wouldn't make the decision to put the person, you know, into care, but it would it would be a second opinion to a decision where the person wouldn't be allowed into care. So I suppose what I'm what I'm trying to say is the the positioning of the digital twin as a cautionary to to a bad decision is an, is a, a fantastic placement of of this kind of expertise or this kind of digital twin expertise. So checks and balances, as in pretty much all important functions of of state and commerce, are, are important. Uh, I think that's loud and clear. And we've mentioned before that there are some huge global businesses that naturally are uh, involved in deploying this technology from financial services and healthcare. And obviously IBM and Gartner, you reference as, as doing a lot of work in this area to understand it as well. Um, a lot of our listeners are from kind of SMEs, small and medium uh, businesses. How might this technology and this ability to kind of replicate and make available at scale your expertise how might that work for a smaller business so i see businesses being differentiated by their ability to respond when things go off script 
So a general sp- a statement then could be that your smaller businesses um, are by nature more entrepreneurial and and therefore have an ability to respond better to off-script events. You know, those are your mom and pop type businesses. You know, if you if you and these are very general statements, but if you had to look at the evolution of business, you know, it starts with a great idea, great execution, it's entrepreneurial. And then at a point, there's a, a need to scale. And when you start scaling in a business, you start, you, you, you have to start bringing in the automation technology. So, you know, you need to, to automate, to scale, to optimize costs and efficiencies and all of those good things. What happens is we, we see that, that these businesses lose the entrepreneurial edge. And part of that entrepreneurial edge is, is, you know, the ability to handle things going off script. With a digital twin technology, you're able to automate that expertise, that off script expertise. Um, and I, I, I see huge opportunity for, for organizations or small organizations to be more flexible, to embed um, off script capabilities, entrepreneurial capabilities ethics capabilities, um, customer empathy kind of capabilities, which one would find within an entrepreneurial environment, you can embed that within your automation. So um, that really gives your small organizations the ability to, you know, if they were to to create the scale with the intelligence of, you know, entrepreneurial intelligence at scale, that'll very quickly give them the capability to, to, compete against the large organizations. Mm. And expertise, we always think of that as you know, rooted in the, in the individual to some degree. If you are hired as an employee uh, and your business uh, through the course of your work captures, replicates your knowledge and expertise through digital twin technology, you leave that business. Your Your expertise and knowledge is is retained within the business within the digital twin. So long-term, what do you think? Do you think there are question marks around who owns your knowledge as an individual and who is able to use it and over what time frame? So, so that's a really interesting and important question. The digital twins uh, and, and certainly our technology, uh, and I'm sort of limiting the discussion to what we do. So just, just for your listeners, we build digital twins out of real people, specific people. So we could build a digital twin out of Mark. Um, mm-hmm. We don't build a generalized representation of a doctor or a generalized representation of a risk manager. We build a specific individual. So the challenge that you've highlighted is that the human has created a product of their IP, of their expertise. Um, this is definitely going to force organizations to revisit the relationship between employer and employee, and, and for a number of reasons. The reality, though, just, just to talk about the reality of the digital twins, the digital twins are a representation of a, a specific human's decisioning. And as the human's decision changes, the digital twin will change and age. So you can't necessarily take a digital twin away from the human. You can for a period of time, um, but the digital twin 
is still tethered for its learning and evolution to that human. So, so that's a practical statement. However, what now becomes possible is that in the past, you'd have employees working in an organization and servicing potentially the customers of that organization. What now becomes possible is a digital twin of the employee can actually go and work in the organization, in, in a customer's organization. A practical example would be that, you know, if you've got a risk manager within a bank, you know, risk managers are, are very expensive resources and the bank's customers won't necessarily have access to those kinds of skills or resources to build that kind of capability. What could now happen is a risk manager from a bank can be digitized and be planted into an automation layer at the, the customer of the bank. Now, that's the question that you asked around, you know, what is this going to mean to sort of the, the, the business and, and the employee is going to be challenged because the employee can argue that they are now adding value outside of the organization within a sort of a workflow outside of the organization. So, you know, uh, we've had legal opinion on this some time back um, and, and uh, differing legal opinion, interestingly. But I think when you as an employee work for an organization, obviously what you create belongs to that organization within the current context of understanding. But when one expands that outwards where I can now go and work in the customers of my customer, uh, that that becomes challenging. And, and, and I think, you know, back to the earlier point, we're going to have to revisit these relationships because, you know, the value that I bring to the organization can now be sold a thousand times outside of the organization. So in a way, the organization could eventually become an agent of my skills. Mm. Um, all very interesting concepts. It is. And, and, and you know, recently, of, of course, we've heard Elon Musk's maybe slightly flippant remark that with advancement of AI, no one will need to have a job in the future. What what you've laid out for us today, Carl, makes us think that you're going to need that human in the loop. You're going to retain, particularly in high-skilled areas, the, the human expertise and knowledge, but it will just be made much, much more available into many, many uh, different areas via digital twin technology. But clearly, as you mentioned, there's going to be have to be a whole rethink in terms of employment contracts. And in terms of regulation, I mean, how much regulation do you think there needs to be? And of course, you know, we're speaking to you, you're in you're in Africa today, we're in in London. And so would you think regulation needs to be global or will it be by 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 country? You know, one of the questions that I get asked as well is how much regulation and do we need regulation? You absolutely need regulation. Um, and that's really to monitor for fair practice and fair advantage and, and you know, all the regulatory things that, that one has become accustomed to. So we need regulation, w without a doubt. We need regulation, but within very well-defined objectives. And, and the devil's in the details in terms of those objectives. And that'll form the basis of a discussion, maybe a future hunch episode, just understanding what is the regulatory um, relationship with AI and the like. Um, but regulation is key. So if you look at 
um, concepts of, of ethics within AI, which is one of the regulatory principles and, and objectives, you'll find that ethics changes based on region, as, as you've just suggested, you know, different regulations for different regions. And uh, one of the challenges that regulators now know our, uh, regulators are having within the AI framework is around ethics. So if we take that as a, as a point, you know, to explore a bit further, I could have dif different ethics to my neighbor. And in certain respects, I would have, um, I have different attitudes about things. I certainly would have a diff different ethics profile, you know, based on a different region in, in the world. So, you know, ethics is an exceptionally, exceptionally difficult challenge that we are facing, um, simply because you can't necessarily codify ethics. So when a regulator has got to codify a rule that must be followed by an industry, how do you how do you codify ethics if if my ethics is different from someone who lives you know a kilometer away from me so 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 we're going to have these kind of regulatory challenges um, a very novel approach to to sort of achieving some kind of regulation and would be where you start to introduce sort of customer perspectives into your organization. So imagine a world where we create customer advocacy um, capability where you bring digital twins of your customers to mon monitor for, you know, compliance, fair trade, and the like. In the same way, this technology makes it possible for you to introduce regulators in a digital guise into your organization. What I'm talking about today is, is not necessarily the best approach. I'm rather talking about what's now possible. So is it possible to have a panel of regulators monitoring my business? Absolutely. Um, whether that will ever be practical and, and acceptable you know, is, is another discussion. Is it possible for me to bring my customers into my organization as digital twins to perform a similar function you know, to, to ensure that we're trading in a, in a fair way? Absolutely. Um, whether that would be acceptable or not, again, you know, is, is that other discussion. So potentially you could have AI-powered transparency where you create the, the persona of the customer, the regulator, the, the compliance adjudicator, and they are effectively looking at all of the decisions you're making and flagging if they think you're doing something that isn't in the isn't in the customer's best interest or is not in in line with regulation uh, and then flagging that up to the humans in uh, in the senior level to actually you know make a make a decision based on that but at any time either the, the regulator regional uh, or or national or the customers can almost in real time come on in and take a look. So I know, as you said, this this is um, you know de dependent on 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 a number of things. But in theory, you could ha almost have that constant transparent that constant monitoring and transparency all across your business. Uh, absolutely, I mean that's that's a brilliant concept. And you know, if I could, if I could simplify. Um, a view on business. So that view would be true for the business and, and it would be true. Well, let, let's say that, that view would be true for stakeholders in the business and stakeholders outside of the business. So stakeholders in the business 
you you would consider that a, a sort of a a process in a business is cross-functional. So a process could start as a commitment by a salesperson and eventually end as a fulfillment you know, in manufacturing. You could, using a digital twin AI technology, you could create, and, and those are stakeholders to, to that process, you could create a monitoring layer across the organization which would allow the salesperson to monitor uh, against their expectations as as this process flows through the functions. So an, another way to look at a business is that, that business and large business invariably ends up in, in two distinct layers, one being strategy and one being operations. So strategy being, you know, informed and defined by the, the directors and, and the management of the organization and they really hope that it gets translated at an operational level. And we know that there's a disconnect between the two. Imagine if, if you're able to digitize the objectives, the management to monitor against operations. So that's in the organization. Outside of the organization, stakeholders in the organization are, as, as we correctly said, the regulators, but they're also ultimately your customers now, my view of what a, a future landscape could look like would be where you have your customers being the ultimate adjudicators of fair practice. And what I mean by that is when you start introducing concepts of cancel culture, fairness and the like, the eventual arbitrator isn't going to be a court of law. It's going to be your customer who, who could deem you as not having traded fairly. So a practical example in that regard would be an insurance company that um, has the right to refuse or repudiate a claim, um, but customer sentiment and public opinion could say, well, you actually should have paid that premium. You know, for these reasons, we think you've, you've done, you know, you've done the wrong thing here. Now, that kind of um, event is, is then sort of after the fact, you know, we've we've now uh, agitated the customer, we've agitated the public opinion, and, and we're in trouble as a brand. If we bring customer opinion upstream into the organization, we could mitigate for that risk before it becomes sort of a, a claim that we should have paid but didn't. So, so in terms of ultimate transparency, there's no reason why we don't bring ultimate transparency in terms of objectives, stakeholder object, uh, objectives from within the organization and outside of the organization to help monitor um, within our business world. So in reputational terms for an organization, it's the court of public opinion and the court of law that will... Uh, ultimately make or, or or break you as much in an automated world as it does now really really interesting and just thinking in terms of the uh, again the, the public view and uh, their their kind of confidence levels and also their uh, emotional engagement could you see a time when made by humans as a label is a, a differentiator for companies in in an almost in totally automated world absolutely absolutely these things are all pendulums you know we've moved from lots of human pendulum swung to lots of automation it's going to swing back lots of humans so 
Absolutely. Certainly differentiation is, is what one's looking for. Um, the idea that you have human touch, come and have coffee with me, you know, let's let's onboard you as a customer, we'll come, you know, to you and all of those things. Absolutely correct. However, the difference now is that we're dealing in an environment where we demand scale. So um, organizations, small businesses don't have the, the ability to to have to only have practical human touch. Um, we now need to bring automation, so maybe halfway between automation and or full automation and human touch would be automation that involves human sentiment, human touch, um, you know, the, the ethics, empathy type senses. So so I think the pendulum will come back to the middle. Um, but most certainly a differentiator. I mean, organizations are constantly, you know, espousing that they are, you know, we see you as a person um, and come to our website and have a discussion with a chatbot. So I think, you know, to answer your question, is that going to be a distinction uh, and, and one that one should exploit? Absolutely. And as citizens, what what should we be looking out for? You know, Merlin is set up to do things in in the right way for the benefit of all with with AI technology. What what should we as citizens be watching out for? What what things could uh, come back to our our detriment if we don't stay alert? I think being disintermediated out of a process. You mentioned Elon Musk, and he had a, a view that we're not we're not necessarily going to all have to work. He's a phenomenally clever guy and and I'm certainly not going to sort of be his intellectual equal. But I think the challenge with the concept of us not having to work is that we won't be contributing anymore. So if I'm not contributing, and, and this is the, the logical challenge for me, if I'm not contributing, I can't be earning. You know, that works very well. You know, not, not contributing and still benefiting works very well, I think, in the primary needs like, you know, food, water, power. When you look at things around you, you know, the not the luxury items, but your cars and TVs and computers and 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 then the better food, um, the better houses, etc. You need to somehow differentiate the value that you bring to be able to have differentiated value in terms of what you take. So so the model where you say you don't have to work, but you're just going to be served by AI, I think is flawed. And we need to be very careful around that disintermediation out of processes, that loss of relevance, where my contribution is, is no longer needed. It speaks to the concept of you know, building these digital twins out of out of what your contribution is. You know, I've I've always seen a world where my digital twin goes to work. You know, my digital twin is is really a proxy of me. You know, I have a relationship with the digital twin in in, in that the digital twin will do most of my work and then communicate back to me where where it hasn't been able to do the work and where there is input needed and where there's further training needed. So so what should we be looking out for? Um, complacency, you know, feeling that we're all going to be all right um, when AI takes over. Uh, I'm not so sure. I, I think 
you know, the, the single statement would be loss of relevance. Um, you know, if you have loss of relevance, I think, I don't know if you're going to be able to take value off the table anymore. And so you won't be rewarded for those material differentiators and you will also probably have a have an issue around your mental health in terms of feeling fulfilled and feeling that you're contributing. So, yeah, that is indeed a big watch out, Carl. We like to end on a positive note, though. So I'm going to ask you what your hunch is about uh, an AI powered or enabled future of work. So I think we can all acknowledge the world around us is becoming more digital, more complex. I see a world where AI allows us to participate, so where we can create digital versions of, of us to be able to participate. I think that's key. Our business has already started to build the, the, the pieces for this, you know, for this view. So my hunch would be I'm not necessarily only going to be the beneficiary of this new technology where I get a pizza delivered faster and I, I get more entertainment, but I need to be able to participate. So a world where we participate and not only consume. I think the the vision that um, Meta had, Mark Zuckerberg had, in terms of a metaverse, uh, I'll probably be shot down for this, um, but... I think that that's correct. I don't think necessarily the translation that that they have of that world is correct. I think there's a lot of uh, resolution missing to that view. But I do see a digital world where sort of that metaverse of being served and actually serving in a digital form uh, is real. I see a digital marketplace for digital twins. So... You know, I, I would want the ability and see the ability for me to create digital twins of my skills, of my expertise, um, placed into sort of an Amazon-type marketplace where people can interact um, and consume those skills. Again, the pieces for all of this are now there, where I could, you know, the future world would be, I send my digital twin to work, it works uh, you know, in 10 different countries, in a number of different organizations, adding value within those organizations at an operational level, earning me uh, a small revenue per use, which, you know, which which will rapid, rapidly add up. So a digital world, um, a, a metaverse-enabled world. Thank you, Carl. Listeners can find out more at Merlin, that's M E R. L-Y-N-N hyphen A-I dot com. Thank you for listening. And Carl Vocker, thank you very much for joining us on The Hunch. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Follow me, Mark Schmid, or our company, Simmons & Schmid, on LinkedIn or Twitter for news of our next episode.